0: colin kaepernick made headlines during the 2016-17 nfl season when he remained seated on the bench in protest instead of rising for the national anthem but soon after having a conversation with nate boyer a u.s army veteran who'd had a stint in the nfl with seattle seahawks
1: kaepernick began kneeling instead of sitting so what happened during that discussion through our conversation you know he asked me is there another way you think i can uh, protest or demonstrate that won't offend uh, people you know, in the military and law enforcement. We chatted with Nate about that conversation, as well as his journey from actor to
0: Army Green Beret, to walk on Deep Snapper at the University of Texas, to a free agent signee in the NFL. Nate sat down with us live from the Bush Institute's Warrior Open Golf Tournament at the AT&T Byron Nelson. I'm Andrew Kaufman, and this is The Strategist, presented by the George W. Bush Institute. What happens when you cross the 43rd president, late-night sketch comedy, and compelling conversation? The Strategist, a podcast born from the word strategery, which was coined by SNL and embraced by the George W. Bush administration. We highlight the American spirit of leadership and compassion through thought-provoking conversations. And we're reminded that the most effective leaders are the ones who laugh. the 2019 Warrior Open and our first guest here is Nate Boyer, who is actually a... Do we, can we, call you, we can call you a former professional athlete, right?
1: Yeah, you can call me. Yeah. You can call me
2: anything. Well, I mean, I might react differently depending man. on what you say, <laughs> but you can call me anything.
0: Well, we're going to go with former professional athlete and you've got quite, a, in, quite an interesting story. How did you end up... So you spent some time in the military. I did. How did you end up in the military to begin with like what what inspired you to go into the end the service
1: well you know i was in my early 20s uh 9-11 had happened a couple of years before which got me thinking about it and uh but it but it wasn't i guess I, maybe i didn't know what i would be doing exactly and and i didn't know if the military was right for me but i definitely knew i wanted to do something sort of outside of the states somewhat and kind of figure out what was going on in the, See world. the world right exactly
0: and the peace corps wasn't it
1: no i i traveled a bunch Uh, like backpacking, you know, just sleeping on trains, staying in hostels, doing that thing. And then, uh, I ended up going to the Darfur in, uh, in Sudan, well, on the border of Sudan and Chad and did some relief work there for a couple of months and it completely changed my life. I sort of gained my patriotism through that time just because many of the people I worked with, I mean, they're they're living in these refugee camps, mostly women and children. The, The men are either killed or off fighting. Uh, but they were just grateful to have people helping them out, grateful for the essentials like, you know, clean water, food, shelter, clothing, um, and medical care, any kind of education, all that stuff that I sort of took for granted and I think we're very fortunate to have here in this country. Um, but also they were so uh, enamored with an American, the fact that an American would leave leave that to come over there. I was the only one that I met on that trip, <laughs> uh, or I was the only one they met on that trip. and uh, And anyway, it just... It sort of solidified for me that I wanted to do something patriotic. Um, And at that time, we had just started going to Iraq as well. And so I decided the military was going to be the next step for me when I got
2: back.
0: Right. Well, and speaking of the military, we're joined also by Matt Amadon, our director of the Military Service Initiative, who's co-hosting today.
2: Andrew, thanks so much. Nate, it's a pleasure to meet you and uh, uh, honored to be here. And and I I appreciate your comments on Darfur. I think it was the... What was the Johnnaweed and the Darfur? Yep. yeah. Right. And I, a... I, I read a little bit about your bio course, and, and I think uh, Andrew hits it so well. It's, it's just an interesting pathway that brings you here today, uh, all starting with graduating from high school, I think, in 1999. But what I've observed along the way and just my reflections of your path is you seek not only opportunities for adventure, but you seek opportunities of consequence, which is really kind of a neat observation and opportunities of consequence that have impact from Darfur in and through special forces now with MVP. But I want to go back a little earlier, if we could. Yeah. And I was fascinated. Back. I hear you say you're living in L.A. <laughs> yeah. And L.A. is known for an industry. It is and, known uh, for an industry. And in 1999, you left high school to go be an actor. He's a good-looking guy. Yeah, well. Well, not in 99. <laughs> not, I went <laughs> to high school to go, I thought, be
1: a firefighter. Right, okay. Yeah, <laughs> well,
2: so fishing boat, yeah. firefighter. I ended up, I ended yeah. up. I went to
1: firefighting school for a bit. Um, I wasn't quite ready to, to. it's a big, it's a lot of, uh Responsibility on your shoulders. Let's just put it that way. And I and I just was like a little overwhelmed. I think at the time
0: when you're a kid at that
1: point. Yeah, so. yeah. And and but I was I thought it was you know an amazing job. It's like service oriented. Obviously the adventure, the toughness. It's blue collar. Um, but I started working on a fishing boat uh, to make money, and and I kind of got.
2: Can be good money. Too yeah, it was good money. Kid. I
1: got roped into that. I did that for like a year, and I really liked it.
2: We learned that in Forrest Gump. That yeah, you made, be great money. <laughs> yeah, I
1: didn't make that much money. <laughs> <laughs> I was but, making hundreds of dollars. But you, so uh, you did that in SoCal. Yeah, um, I did that in San Diego, and then after about a year, um, I did. Yeah, I moved up to Los Angeles, and I was, uh, I was really interested in the yeah, film industry, and I didn't really know what at that. I mean, being nineteen without a college education, obviously, being an actor was something that sort of made sense as a way in but i didn't know how to pursue it i didn't have a work ethic i mean i, I was in like a greyhound commercial that i never saw well that and that's it that's I mean, a like, fascinating
2: thing so how, how does a 19 year old kid go up to la and say i'm going to be an actor and get there the the most popular movie in that time frame was the big lebowski <laughs> did, did, <laughs> the, did the, the, the big lebowski the inspire you to become an actor or was uh, it something you know else? what
1: another movie that came out around that same time that had a big impact on me because of the the message behind it and it was like it was sort of seen as this cult classic and whatever but if you really dig into the message of this movie it's all about breaking the rules and that movie was called fight club
2: oh yeah yeah
1: and so and i love the big lebowski don't get me wrong but when i saw that movie it was all about breaking the rules and it was all about you know figuring out what what your true passion is in like a really twisted way. Yeah. But that was what it was about. I mean, I, I'm always reminded of that scene with like the guy that wanted to be a veterinarian that was working yeah. at the 7-11 or whatever too, isn't he? My dad is a yeah. veterinarian, yeah. It
0: connected with you then. Yeah,
1: exactly. But like that, yeah, it just kind of made sense cuz I was a little bit lo- I was definitely more than a little bit lost and it's not like I was found right after that, but uh but yeah, that that had a big impact on me and so I went up there to sort of pursue that I mean I lived in my car for like 5 months uh an odd jobs, saved up money, got got a place. Um but honestly I I just didn't I didn't know how to to work yet. You know what I mean? I I had I had a lot to learn and I still do. And then
0: nothing teaches preparation though, like the military.
1: Exactly. I mean then that's I eventually got steered that way through through the Darfur, but honestly without that period of time, those years, you know, in San Diego and LA, uh where I felt sort of lost, I wouldn't have found myself not only in the military but I wouldn't have found myself in the special forces I mean that mission uh the motto de oppresso liber to free the oppressed uh what the Green Berets are all about working by with and through indigenous forces all these things that were interesting to me beyond uh just the mission itself uh you know but there's so much oppression that exists in this world and uh of of course you know over over like any war there's always controversy and You know, it's, it's a, it's, war is so complicated and difficult. I I can't stress that enough to anybody that doesn't understand it, but it was always to me about the people over there that, you know, I mean, if I sit back, if we sit back as a country or me as an individual and do nothing, then nothing changes, you know what I mean? And uh, these people, they did nothing wrong to be born there. I did nothing right to be born here. I was just fortunate and they were unfortunate in a lot of ways. So if I have all these tools and and opportunities, but I'm willing to go fight for those that can't fight for themselves, um, I think that's a great thing. And I think that that's, I mean, we've got so many incredible volunteers in our country that people that are willing, you know, men, women from all kinds of backgrounds and circumstances that are willing to go to go over there and, you know, and fight for those people, then it's worth it and uh yeah and and it completely selfishly it changed my life too for the better you know what i mean i i, I would not have gotten anywhere and i still feel like i haven't gotten anywhere in a lot of ways because i just got all these crazy dreams and goals but without the military without the structure the discipline learning how to prepare um yeah i'd be nothing
0: yeah no that's what we're here at the warrior open we're with a lot of these a lot of veterans who've been injured fighting and to a man, every single one of them says that it, that that was it wasn't a negative experience. Despite being despite being injured, they would do it again, and they've learned so much about themselves through the journey.
1: There's there's just like any any profession. There's negatives, you know what I mean. And there's dirt bags in every industry. It, it doesn't <laughs> matter what it is, but but, but yes, I, I wouldn't I wouldn't trade it for the world. The experience I got from it, what I got to see, do, be a part of the mission. The purpose, the brotherhood, all those things unmatched by anything else in this
2: world I, I truly believe that this universal thing called transition, everybody transitions out and some face some face challenges and what 's fascinating is you're recent involvement with MVP, which is, transition applies in a more profound way to folks who wore the cloth of the nation, but it also applies to professional athletes as well. Can yeah. you talk a little bit about similarities and differences, because yeah. you're, you're a two-fold transitioner. <laughs> yeah. You are a special forces transition, and you're a professional right. athlete transition, so well, talk to that a little the, bit. That's the best
1: way to explain it. So for me, I didn't fully transition, I felt like, until I was done with football, because when I left active duty, I went right to the university of Texas. I walked onto the football team. I had that yeah, we locker talk room. about
2: that too, by the way, yeah, we will. Yeah. <laughs> I had that locker
1: room. I had that team. I had that purpose. I had the uniform, something that, you know, all these like pieces of identity. Um, but also like a reason I have to get up at X time today and I have to eat healthy and I have to, you know, get my mind right, get my body right. Because, you know, if I don't, then I'll let my team down. And it's the same kind of stuff in the military. And, uh, and you're playing at an elite level. Granted, like, I would never compare the stakes, you know, and anybody that, that, that thinks that's what we're talking about is just out of their mind. Like, the stakes are definitely different. Um, you know, the, the the level of service in the military, completely different. But um, what is the same is, yeah, that, that, that brotherhood, the locker room, the camaraderie, the uniform, the purpose, the mission, all that stuff, very similar. And when those things are gone, it's really, really hard especially when you're in your 20s luckily lucky if you're in your 30s and you no longer have those things and you have to like you know figure it out on your own and find find a purpose find uh, something that'll make you feel as um, you know important as you did before and uh and that's a common that's a common challenge that 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 people face in both both those industries and you know in any athlete you talk to they're never going to want to compare that to to military service, and, I, and I'm not comparing it to military service. But, but there are similarities. When you explain this to them, you know, when you talk to them about, especially ones that have gone through that transition out of their sport, yes. they totally get it, you know what I mean? They're like, wow, I never thought I'd have this much in common with someone in the military. And I think that's the point, too, is, like, I want to break down this these this divide where, where civilians, you know, think I, I'll i never be able to, to understand these people, you know, and, like, I want to help them. I want to support them. I want to thank them for their service and show it. But I, I, I can't relate to them. And it's like, that's not true. You can relate to us. You know what I mean? We're, we're all human beings. And, yeah, we did something. I, I mean, I'll brag on ourselves and say we did something very extraordinary. Absolutely. You know, uh, willing to do that. But uh, anybody's capable of that. And then when we get out of that, we're still human beings. We're still people. We still have, you know, issues, challenges, um, things we got to we gotta push through. and uh, And we still have a piece of that cloth, as you called it. Uh, that will will carry on forever, you know what I mean? And that should be a positive thing. That should be a good thing. We should be able to use that to, uh, you know, ignite us moving forward and, and elevate us. Uh, even if you've suffered, I've been very fortunate, you know, even if you have suffered, you know, great wounds physically and, and mentally and emotionally, you know, you, you, that's a good thing too in a lot of ways because it's a, it's, it's a constant reminder of what you did and what you were willing to sacrifice for everybody else and, uh, and what you're willing to, to give, you know, to... To to be great, and uh, and that's that's who you are moving forward forever, you know, and that's what MVP is all about. It's just reminding reminding us, giving us that team, giving us that locker room again, bringing these athletes and veterans together, and helping each other, you know, push one another forward.
0: That's all everybody wants. Yeah. How did you, we have to ask this? How did you go from the military to everyone's military? Everybody's transition out of the military is a little different. Yours is pretty unique in that you went from military to deep snapper uh, <laughs> right. at, at the University of Texas, as you're wearing all orange today. Yeah, to I'm wearing all us. my UT stuff, <laughs> in case you were wondering.
1: I'm a longhorn. Uh, you know, so growing up, I, I, I never played football, and it was a huge regret of mine. Any sports was my growing favorite. up? Any, oh, and yeah, I played baseball, okay, basketball. So you, you, I golfed a yeah, little bit. Okay, okay. Um, we lived in Colorado for a minute, so I ski raced out there. My dad was on ski patrol. Um, but anyway... Yeah, so, so I played all these other sports, but football was always my favorite, and I just regretted not playing. And I just remember being uh, being in Iraq. I was 28 years old. Uh, I had about a year left in my enlistment, and I had to make a decision whether I was going to stay in uh, or or if I was going to do something else next. And uh, you know, I didn't want to give up service completely, but I knew if I didn't go back to college now and try and play football, which was this weird, like my. Personal American dream. <laughs> you uh, gotta follow. You yeah, gotta follow your heart. You gotta follow. Then I would never do it. I mean, uh, once I got too far into my 30s, it would just be tough, and I could already feel my body getting ready to fall apart. So boy,
0: it happens fast, doesn't yeah, it?
1: Yeah, it does. It's crazy. So, so I did. I, you know, I started. I was training. I was in Iraq. I was watching YouTube videos and Googling workouts and like getting ready for it. And I went over uh, when I went back um, to Colorado Springs, and I was in 10th group at the time out uh, at, of at Fort Carson I, I trained uh, at out of the, the Olympics training center there and I met some strength coaches and I just like put all my energy into football
2: um,
0: so we're going to let Matt Amidon run off here he's got to run to uh, hang out with the president real quick but I think we've got a couple more topics
2: well, hey listen I, I really appreciate your time and, and I did want to say through MVP and, and other opportunities you are addressing some of um the bigger issues and opportunities we can face as a nation that being the civil mill divide which is emblematic of broader misunderstandings and I appreciate the way that that you address it with the grace that's so necessary here. It's a wonderful thing that you're doing so thanks so much for your time.
0: Nate, let's keep talking. Right. Let's let Matt go. Yeah. But we want to, you know, be be remiss if we didn't talk about that a little bit. So, you're talking about your your overseas uh deploying you're watching youtube videos learn how to deep snap is right.
1: that yeah 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 learn how to play football basically and from youtube videos yeah well not <laughs> not deep snap yet i didn't even know what a what a long snapper was uh until i got on the team um i, I was you know teaching myself how to backpedal and run got routes it. and try to fundamentals football yeah right and i walked on as a as a safety and so i was for that first year on scout team i was a safety couldn't get off the scout team because i just didn't have the skill set um So it's competitive at UT. Yeah, it's a program. But I did identify that the long snapper was graduating and so was his backup. And so I started teaching myself how to long snap. And I stayed in uh, or I transitioned into the into the Texas National Guard. And so every summer while I was at school, I would go overseas. I went to Afghanistan a couple of times and I went to to Greece, went to Bulgaria Um, and I would, you know, go overseas for about three, three and a half months, uh, do a deployment and then come back and that year between freshman and sophomore season, I brought a football with me overseas, and I practiced long snapping every day. And was there another? uh, Did you have a buddy that was practicing punting every day? No, (laughs) no, no, no. I was over there with 11 other Special Forces guys. They had nothing to do with football. So when I had 30 minutes here, uh, 45 minutes there, whatever it was, I'd sneak off, uh, you know, down to the soccer field or somewhere on base. Or, you know, I built a little target out of plywood one year um, over by the airstrip and was just you know, long snapping. Just, just all day? On it. And yeah. Not all day, but at every break yeah, you
0: could find. Exactly. And so that took you to the Seattle Seahawks, which is where really your story becomes more uh, more in the public eye where you cross paths with, with Colin Kaepernick or you, yeah. you, ha- you started communicating with Colin Kaepernick. Yeah. Can t- tell us about how yeah. that went so down. Yeah, so I
1: played it, played started at Texas for three years. And at the end of it, I was 34 years old. I pretty much thought football was over for me, right? Um, and I got invited to play in this senior all-star game called the Medal of Honor Bowl in Charleston. And so I go out there. I play in this game. There's NFL scouts there. And they're like, you should make a run at the NFL. You should go for it. And the I scout like, tells you to. All right. I yeah, have to. I have to. So I put on, like, 35 pounds because uh, the NFL guys are a little bit bigger. And I prepared for the, for the NFL draft. And I didn't get drafted, but I got uh, signed as a free agent by the Seattle Seahawks. Yeah,
0: one of our pros tomorrow followed a similar round, Tony Romo. He was an undrafted free agent.
1: yeah. He
0: he wasn't a Green Beret though, was he?
1: No, he was not. You know,
0: you got you got that on him. I I take your career over his.
1: Yeah, he's a really good golfer too, though. Um, yeah, yeah, he is. And he's good at what he does for uh, is he, what is he CBS now? Yeah. Yeah. He's a, yeah. He's 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 really good at that.
0: Yeah, but so you're so you're out there. Uh, yeah, now thinking about the NFL. So
1: I d- yeah so I did that. I, I mean the, the the Hawks picked me up. I go up there. I went through training camp. Played in the preseason. Uh, but then it ended, you know. I mean, it's it's a. Uh, I was the oldest guy on the team as a rookie. I was like the oldest rookie in NFL history. All these like, you know, great things. But I never, I never made it. Made it. Made it. You you got know? a lot closer than any of us did. That's for sure. Yeah. Yeah. And it was uh, very fortunate to play and and have the opportunity. But in the game that I did play, which was against the the Broncos, who ended up winning the Super Bowl that year, and it was Peyton Manning's last year. Yeah,
0: his last hurrah. Yeah.
1: And it was uh, it was a first preseason game of the year, uh, in. century link field in seattle and it's raining and it's a sold out crowd for a preseason game because the hawks had been to -to back-to-back super bowls and all this stuff's going on and um you know i'm like welling with emotion because this is like a really cool opportunity and we go out we go out before the game and they play the national anthem on the sidelines and in college we're in the locker room when the anthem plays and uh and then we come out and you know i would lead the team on the field with the american flag and it's got to be an amazing it was, it was incredible right so when for this one game in seattle they, they asked me to do the same as far as the flag and lead the team out and i did that and then we're on the sideline and they start playing the anthem and i wasn't really ready for that because i just hadn't thought about it and because of this that symbol that song the flag what it means to me um in my experience you know i got super emotional and i'm like bawling on the sidelines before the game and uh you know and, and we go out there and we play and and it was an incredible experience, and I got cut the next week. But that's how it goes, <laughs> you know. They had to make they, they had to make their cuts. Um, so so then we fast forward a year later, and we're in the preseason again, and I'm not playing at this time. But that's when Colin Kaepernick started sitting on the bench uh, in protest of uh, uh, social injustice, police brutality, um, and of course, it's it's in the middle of the election cycle, so we're already. Man, we're super divided. It's a, a heightened <laughs> you know? height tensions. At yeah, time. exactly, and uh, and so this just like all of a sudden football is becoming this like divisive uh, uh, ideal or whatever this 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 thing this unifying thing that you know I'm a, a player on the st- in the in the in the game and I look up in the stands and everybody looks different different backgrounds skin colors N- none of that stuff matters because they're wearing the same. Jersey pulling for the same team, and the guy next to you can spill beer on you in the first quarter, and in the fourth quarter you're hugging him because y'all made a big play. And like, not a lot of places happen, not a lot of situations in our country where that happens. Yeah, right? it's and, uh, Yeah, it's very unique, and and so for, for football to be considered a divisive thing now, it was it was frustrating, and uh, and and I got reached out to by a bunch of publications and news networks, like, come on our network and talk about why he's right for what he's doing or why he's wrong for what he's doing, you know, depending on the political slant of that publication. And I was like, I don't want to do that. I I don't want to, that's not what I'm all about. I mean, that's not why I fought for this country and, and I don't want to get involved in this like political debate over this thing. And so um, what I finally said yes to was the army times because I knew they would let me write what I wanted to write. And, you know, it wouldn't be slanted in one way or the another. They wouldn't like use me um, to to uh, to hammer home their message. You know what I mean? And so I wrote this open letter to Colin, just describing my background, my beliefs, why I felt the way I felt, um, what the flag and the anthem meant to me, but also that hey, that's what it means to me. That's my experience. You know, and I'm willing to listen to yours. If you know, uh, if if we can go down that road and find a way to, you know kind of come together and move the conversation forward in a positive way and bring everyone together. And Colin ended up reaching out to me and said he wanted to meet. So that next week before uh, uh, they played their final preseason game in San Diego, circling back to San Diego, I went down there. um, The 49ers were playing the Chargers. It's Military Appreciation Day. There's a flyover, and the Navy SEALs are jumping into the stadium. And, uh, you know, it's a week before 9-11. All this stuff's going on. And Colin saying, "I'm, I'm not gonna, you know, I'm gonna sit on the bench again during the anthem." And we met in the in the team hotel in the lobby for like two hours uh, before the game, and just talked about our backgrounds, our experiences of life. Funny um, what you can accomplish when you everything. Just everything. when you talk, just talk to talk, each other. Yeah, yeah. you just yeah, no cameras around, and like just two two dudes <laughs> ashing stuff right. out that have led very you know, different lives. Very different lives, but we got a lot in common too. Like football. Um, he's from California. Uh, i grew up a huge niner fan he is a niner i mean there was a lot of stuff you know that 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 wasn't that different and uh but yes you're right we have a lot of of things that we, we we thought and felt and believed that were very different and uh through our conversation you know he asked me is there another way you think i can uh protest or demonstrate that won't offend uh people you know in the military and law enforcement and i was like colin no matter what you do if you're protesting Uh, during the anthem or the you know well during the anthem period people are going to take offense like you're not going to please everybody that's just the way that goes and uh and i said i mean i want you to stand more than anything um you know but i want anybody i want everybody to stand because they feel at least similarly similarly about their country the the way that i feel and understanding uh how fortunate that we are and he said he 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 didn't want to do that you know he said i'm not going to stand until Uh, things change Um, i asked what those changes looked like measurable goals and it was it's hard to define you know um but then he asked you know is there is there any anything else i could do because i like i said i'm not going to stand but um but i'm willing to listen and maybe do something else and i said well i think you should be alongside your teammates first of all and uh, and then i said you know i think the only other option you maybe have is to kneel um it's not standing, but it's, I think it's more respectful than sort of sitting away from your team and kind of making it look like it's about you or that you're, you're, you know, you're sitting it out. And you're not engaged. Um, people take a knee to pray, um, to propose. When a player's hurt on the field, everyone takes a knee. It's almost like a flag at half, half-mast or something like that. And uh, I said, if, if you're willing to do that, I think that that's a, a step forward anyway. And he said he, he was willing to do that, and he asked me to, to stand with him. Um, you know if you would do that that night, and so I did. I stood next to him on the sideline while he knelt, and the fans booed during the uh during the anthem, not all fans, very few fans um but at the same time, you know it was uh yeah, I think it was a powerful moment it was at least something for us to look at as as far as two people that are at least willing to engage in conversation and listen to each other at that time and um I think we need more of that in our country just you know just just uh, a little bit of humility and and putting differences aside and just yeah like you said having conversations
0: well nate thank you so much for doing this i think we're we've got the opening ceremonies about to start we don't want you, we don't want you to miss it but i mean that, thanks so much for being here of to course. support the vets thanks for all the work you're doing with the vets and you know thanks for for being such a great voice and and teaching that lesson we just need to learn to live learn to listen to each other and understand where, where everyone's coming from just and, be american and be american If you enjoyed today's episode and would like to help us spread the word about The Strategist, please give us a five-star review and tell your friends to subscribe. We're available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and all the major listening apps. If you're tuning in on a smartphone, tap or swipe over the cover art. You'll find episode notes with helpful information and details you may have missed. The Strategist was produced by Ioana Pappas at the George W. Bush Institute in Dallas, Texas. Thank you for listening.